0: All right. Good morning, New Life Church. Great to see you this morning. Great to be with you. So special to worship with you this morning. Man, 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 we're so grateful. Hey, would you open up, uh, would you uh, bow your heads as we open up the scriptures together this morning? Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you for the way that you're already at work in the service this morning. Thank you for the way that your spirit is moving and speaking. And Lord, we're grateful for it. And Lord, as we open up the scriptures this morning, we pray that you would speak to us we pray that you would open up our eyes to see jesus our ears to hear your voice our hearts and our minds to receive all that you're saying and doing in us we pray these things in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit everybody said amen Amen. well some of you may know this but my father-in-law has been a farmer in iowa and he has farmed for a lot of years and this summer he finally made the decision to retire from farming after 50 plus years. There were crops that he raised, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, but mostly it was beef cattle that he raised. And so over the years, you know, we try to find some things to connect about. And so we talk about the, maybe the similarities between his work of taking care of cows and my work of pasturing. And we found some common ground. I'll let your imagination run wild with that. But one of the things that I heard him say over and over again over the years was that he got into farming because he loved the land, and he loved the soil, and he loved to walk the beans, and he loved the livestock, and he kind of lamented the way that his field of work was changing, and people would come in from out of town and rent land that hadn't been in the family and kind of launch their own sort of agro business, and there's nothing wrong with that, but for him... Farming was a way of life. Farming was a calling, not simply a business endeavor. About a dozen years ago or so, I we got this camera and I was, I was like taking it everywhere I went. I thought, I'll just try to take pictures of stuff. And so I went on a ride with him to go check out some of the cattle. And I took this picture of him uh, calling to one of his cows, Bessie or something, I don't know. And I don't, you know, maybe you know something about this stuff, but normally uh, cows don't respond just to you know you calling them to it. But look at the second picture here; he's stretching out his arms, saying, "Come on!" The cow's closing the distance, coming forward. And then third picture; this is like full-on embrace. I mean, this is like a tender moment. He's probably also telling her that, "Hey, you've got about two weeks left, and then it's you know." <laughs> no. When you see a picture like this or you hear a story like this, it touches kind of a deep place in our hearts because maybe somewhere in the American sort of ethos there is this longing for land and calling and cultivation and longevity and we love all of that. But maybe at an even deeper level, it speaks to us of a person whose work lines up with a sense of identity and calling and vocation. And maybe for some of you this morning, you say, I'm longing for that. I'm longing to find out my own place in the world, my own contribution to the world, my own land that I can cultivate. Where is my calling? The psychologist Angela Duckworth, in her best-selling book, Grit, says that the reason she's able to get back up after failure or mistakes, the reason she's, be able to get, she's able to get back out researching and working is because she says, I don't just have a job, I have a calling. And maybe you're in the room and you're thinking, oh, I have a job, but I'm not sure what my calling is. This morning, I don't really want to talk about work per se, all the many things that we do, paid and unpaid, and I don't really want to talk about careers per se. I actually want to zoom the lens out a little bit wider and talk about calling. And when we talk about calling as the people of God, we're actually going to talk about the calling and the cross, the calling and the and the cross and how those two things go together we're going to have two texts this morning one is going to be in exodus 3 about the life of moses and the other is going to be in john 12 about jesus in the garden of gethsemane and and i'm going to say three things to us this morning about calling about the calling and the cross but before we even get to those three things as we enter the story we're going to pick it up in exodus 3 verse 1. it's a little bit of a preamble here It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now maybe you're reading this story and you're like, cool, so it's about some dude who was a shepherd. But actually, you might know, the story of Moses goes a little bit farther back. Moses was a Hebrew child who had been raised in Pharaoh's court. The Hebrew people had grown too large in Egypt and a Pharaoh arose that felt threatened by them and began to sort of try to put the squeeze on them and had issued an edict that every male Hebrew child under a certain age was to be killed. And Moses' mother sneaks him in the basket, sends him down the river, Pharaoh's daughter takes him in, and Moses grows up as a Hebrew but in Pharaoh's court. He understood knowledge, he understood power, he understood education, he understood luxury and privilege, but he also understood that that wasn't actually his family story. And so one day Moses sees a fellow uh, Hebrew being mistreated, being abused by an Egyptian slave master, and Moses does that thing that so many of us have done or do in our youth, full of zeal but lacking wisdom, just tries to fix the situation right then and there, but ends up killing a guy. And then Moses has to flee, and he goes out into the wilderness. My point is, when you pick up the story in Exodus 3, it's safe to say this isn't where Moses thought his life was going to end up. It's safe to say that this wasn't the way he drew it up as a boy. As some of you are listening this morning, and maybe when you heard me say we're going to talk about calling this morning, instantly you sort of felt the dark cloud over you saying, ugh. But I'm not, but my life has derailed and I didn't expect the divorce or the diagnosis or the change in jobs and I'm at these crossroads, that wilderness that I would not have chosen for myself. So is Moses. Moses was in this intersection, this place between. And it says in verse two that there, there, there in that moment that he would not have chosen, there in that intersection of life the angel of the lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush and moses saw that though the bush was on fire it did not burn up and so moses thought i will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up and when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called to him from within the bush pause right there It's so important for us to recognize that when you find yourself in these moments of in-between, these wilderness stages, and maybe for some of you, you're you're at the, the front end. You're on the sort of threshold of your life and work and adulthood. You're going off to college or you're coming out of college and you're like, I'm not sure. And you're at a threshold season. It could be a wilderness or it could be a threshold. But when you're in those moments, what we have to do is to stay attentive to the Holy Spirit. It says here that when the Lord saw that he went over to look, he called to him. I love that God didn't start yelling to get his attention. He allowed Moses to start paying attention. And sometimes we're saying, God, I need you to speak. I need you to guide me. And he's like, let's practice listening. Let's practice attentiveness. It reminds me of the story that we find later in the Bible about a young boy named Samuel who hears a voice calling to him and he goes to Eli the priest and Eli, it's been a while since he's heard the voice of God and Eli's like, go back, I didn't call you. And then finally he's like, you know, I think God speaks sometimes. He's like, Samuel, go, go present yourself to God. And Samuel says, speak Lord, your servant is listening. Can I say to you that if you are in a season of discernment, the thing we have to do is take the posture of a servant. Sometimes we're not hearing the Lord because God knows we're not prepared to say yes. The prelude to hearing the call of God is the posture of surrender. And Moses, it says God called to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. That's a phrase that shows up over and over again in the scriptures. It's what Abraham said when God was calling to him to take Isaac, here I am. And then now we come into the text that we're going to camp out in this morning and get our first observation from. Verse 5, God starts speaking now. He says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, all right, if you've got a paper Bible, this is your moment to underline or circle. Every time you hear the word or see the word I or my or me, And if you don't have a paper Bible, it's fine. Just just flag this in your head. Verse 6, and then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and in and out and Chick-fil-A. Just checking if you're with me. Home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites, God says, has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is taking this mission personally. Ten times, I, me, my people. Maybe our impression is that the mission, the calling that's on our lives is really about us and about our purpose. And listen, I believe in all of the work that we can do to explore our gifts and personalities and Enneagram. I love all of that stuff. I really do. And I do believe that God made us with particular gifts so that we can f- fulfill a particular purpose. I believe that. But I don't believe that our starting point in discovering our calling, I don't believe that our starting point is ourselves. I believe that our starting point is the very mission of God. See, the first thing we need to notice this morning is that our calling is to join God's mission in the world. Our life is about His work in the world. I mean, isn't it amazing, God says to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. And probably Moses is like, oh, well, good, I mean, I kind of picked up on that years ago. And then God's like, and I am going to come down and rescue them. Moses is like, all right, God, I see you. Let's go. And then he says, so I am sending you. He's like, oh, but God, I can't speak. I know. I, so many times we, we want God to kind of do his work in the world, but we're not, we don't always recognize that the way God accomplishes it is through us, is by sending us. I love that over the last several months we've, rekindled and cultivated prayer at New Life. It's an amazing legacy that's part of this church to be people who pray, to be people who call on the name of the Lord and ask God to act. But you know, prayer ought to come with a warning label that God might just ask you to be the answer to those prayers. And Moses hears God say, I've heard their cries, I'm gonna come down, Uh uh-huh, and I'm sending you. Oh, what? And we're like, God, would you bring revival in Colorado Springs? And God, would you rescue my coworker? And God, would you just help them to know the peace that is in Jesus? He's like, great. Could you talk to them? mm Lord, just give him a dream or something. <laughs> yeah. so, what if he's sending you? That Our calling is to join the mission of God in the world. But there's something beautiful about this. The good news in this is that God is a missionary God. God has been from the very beginning the God who calls out. The story that we see in Genesis after the fall is not God waiting for a fallen Adam and Eve to try and find him or find their way back. The story is of God calling out to Adam. All other human religions are about man's search for God or man's search for meaning, but the story of the Bible is the story of God's search for humanity. God's search for us. Where are you, Adam? The Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says, it isn't that the church has a mission. What's our mission? It's not that the church has a mission. It's that there's a God whose mission has a church. God has a mission. And his mission has a people. And our calling is to join God in that. Our calling is to join God's mission in the world. There's lots of ways that we could understand this. My, one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, talks about that calling as image bearers is sort of like being an angled mirror in the world. We reflect God's wisdom and love and order into the world, and we reflect creation's praise upward to God. It's a, it's a royal calling, and it's a priestly calling, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And mirrors are only as good as the thing that they're reflecting. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> It's like the moon, it doesn't have light on its own, and this is why in our cultural moment where everyone's telling us turn inward to find your calling, we, we have to stand up and say, no, if I do that, there is no light in me in and of myself. If I turn inward, what do I have to give the world? But if I can reflect God, then light will enter the world. Our calling is not to turn inward, but to turn Godward, and to join God in his mission in the world. There's so much we could say from this story alone about what the mission of God looks like that Moses is joining. God's going to deal with evil. God's going to deliver his people. God's going to draw them to himself. We could probably explore that over several weeks and say maybe joining the mission of God looks like your life dealing with evil. Some of you work with ministries that interrupt and intersect the trafficking industry. You're joining with God to deal with evil in the world. Some of you are financial advisors. You're joining with God to deliver people from the bondage of debt and materialism. And some all of you in your own ways can join God's mission in drawing people to himself. Those are just some seeds for you to water later on. Okay, John 12, we switch over to the Jesus part of the story. This is Jesus now in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in John 12, verse 23, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I love this because you imagine listening to Jesus say this, and you're like, yes, it's about time, Jesus. Like all these followers who followed Jesus in his little country movement up in Galilee, he's like, you, they're like, you're coming now to Jerusalem, okay, big city, big moment, big flex, let's go, Be glorified. And then he starts to talk about something very strange. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, and anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's so right about now, people are getting squirmy listening to Jesus. <laughs> Verse 32, he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Again, this is probably a moment where Jesus is talking and you're like, oh, that's good. Be lifted up. Do you need a bigger platform, Jesus? We can help you get more followers. And John, anticipating all of the ways that we might misread this, John just inserts a little commentary right here. He says, "Uh, Jesus said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. (laughs) We think of platforms. Jesus thinks of a cross we think of being lifted up we think of fame and influence and jesus is thinking about sacrifice and death verse 34 the crowd spoke up we have heard from the law that the messiah will remain forever so so how can you say the son of man must be lifted up and 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 who is this son of man see to the jewish listeners of jesus's day they had nurtured for years this strong hope of a Messiah, that this one would be the one who would break the backs of the enemy, this would be the one who would break the bonds of the oppressed, this was the anointed one who'd bring the victory of God. I mean, we know, we know the feeling of like, this time will be different every four years here in America, right? But imagine 400 years of nurturing this hope of like, there's going to be a person, it's going to, everything's going to change. We'll get back to the glory days. They nurtured this hope of a Messiah. But there was also this tiny little tradition found in Isaiah about a suffering servant who would suffer in order to accomplish God's will. And they never expected that those two threads would be sewn together in one person. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 I am the one who will bring God's victory, but I'll bring victory through suffering and death. And here's the second thing we have to say about a calling, is that every calling from God comes with a cross. How do you know it's not just your own dreams, and pastor, how do I know the difference between selfish ambition and godly ambition? It's very simple, is there a cross in it? Because if you're running from a cross, it's a good chance it's selfish ambition. But if there's a cross in it, it's a good chance it's Jesus. Now, just because it's easy doesn't mean it's Jesus. (laughs) And just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes the thing that we encounter in the midst of trying to obey God is the very cross we've been called to take up. And this is uncomfortable to us because we don't like it. We don't want it. Maybe we misconstrue the songs that we sing about victory and we misunderstand them because we're not steeped in the scriptures. And so we hear that we're singing songs about victory and we're like, well, I mean, shouldn't this life just be easy? And like, God will just make everything work out. And we miss that the way of Jesus is the way of a cross. We are Jesus' people. We'll never be the Messiah, we'll never take the place of what he's done for us, but we are called to be Jesus' people, which means the way that God accomplishes his work in the world is always going to come through sacrificial, self-giving love, and we're tempted to bracket out that part of the Bible We're tempted to sort of say no, no. I'm gonna accomplish the mission of God by power and control and force and I've got these levers that I can pull and I've got these things that I can do and we can kind of bully our way and we can kind of change this and we'll just err and we think that's revival. I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit is gonna bring renewal to the church in America. I believe that. But 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 it's not going to be It's not gonna be the revival of us taking back anything. It's gonna be the revival of us laying down everything. Laying down our lives with self-giving love. This is the way of the cross. This is the way the mission of God is accomplished in the world, not through the machinery of power, but through the love and the way of the cross. This summer, several of us got to go on a trip to Israel together it was my first time several of the guys have been before and if you've been you know how much of a game changer it is and I was telling Bull Dorlin this morning there were several emotional moments along the way but one of them was going to this place that has the longest tradition of saying this is we think you know where Golgotha was where the cross was and in classic sort of Christian fashion, we've now turned what was a humble, ignored rock of humiliation into this adorned shrine of, uh, you know, ornate decoration, but we were grateful to go to this spot at a quiet day, and we were able to walk through in line, and when you come through the front of the line, you can kneel before the foot of the cross, reconstructed cross, of course, and a glass floor where you could look down to the rocks that it's now built over, And I was so struck in that moment by this paradox of the ornate church and stuff around it and the humble, rugged cross that stood there. And there's nothing wrong with making it a beautiful place of worship. Beauty is a wonderful thing. But what I felt in my heart to pray in that moment was, Jesus, teach me the way of the cross. Teach me the way of the cross. That doesn't run to comfort and ease and familiarity, and, but that will embrace this. This is the way of Jesus. Later on in John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I love that we get different glimpses into the Gethsemane moment. In Matthew's gospel, we actually have Jesus praying Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But here in John's gospel, we kind of get this internal dialogue. And Jesus is saying, should I pray this though? Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No, no, no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The third and final thing we want to say this morning is that obedience to the call of God will result in the glory of God. Obedience to the call of God will result in the glory of God. See, I can't promise you that obedience to the call of God will result in ease. I can't promise you that it will result in comfort. I can't promise you that it'll result in success as the world measures it. I can not promise you any of that. The great heroes, the women and men of faith that the scriptures record, and that church history tells the stories of some of them in their faith were rescued from the den of lions, and others were sawn in two. But all of them lived for the glory of God. What I can say to you this morning is when we obey the call of God, it will result in the glory of God. In the end, I think for all of us, I think of this as a, as a father. I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to have life work out. I want all of those things. And we can pray for those things. There's no sin in praying. For, I, I pray for close parking spots. Like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, like, just, we're just talking to God about all your concerns. So go ahead, ask Him for this and this. It's all good. But the prayer above all prayers has to be Father, glorify your name. That's got to be the prayer above all prayers. Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you help me with this? Lord, would you? And all of that. And then at the end of it, but Father, above all, glorify your name. That's what our lives have to be about. Our calling is bigger than our work, and it's bigger than a context, and it's bigger than a season in life, because the truth is you can live out this mission of God, this calling of God in many different contexts and in many different seasons. So if you're a young person, you don't have to tell yourself, well, I'll just wait until I finish, then I will. You could actually join the mission of God right now. And if you're at a crossroads in a season of disorientation, you, you don't have to say, well, you, you know, maybe one day when I get everything back together and you can say, God, I can surrender now. I want to join your mission now. And maybe you are thinking about some job changes or career changes and all of that stuff. That, that's all fine. But even in these moments, we can say, Father, glorify your name now. Glorify your name through this through that. And our calling can show up in many different contexts. I, I was thinking the other day about, it was almost two years ago that I had surgery on my vocal cords and I was very fearful about it and nervous about it because it, it was an uncertain, it's a, it's a dangerous kind of procedure, and it can go wrong. And we ended up flying out to Boston to meet with a the doctor there. And he was so kind in his interactions with us, very gentle. And after the surgery, I was not allowed to talk for two full weeks. I mean, it was like a game changer for our marriage. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the day after surgery, Holly and I went in and... Um, and met with the doctor, and I couldn't talk, but he's showing us all the stuff that he'd done and, you know, and telling me how it went well and all of that. And I, I typed out on my phone a little note to him, and it just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you you've been so good. And then I said, you're, you're like a pastor. And he's reading this out loud, you know, this dude from Boston. You know, he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're like a pastor. You know. <laughs> I can't do a Boston accent, that's my will attempt. And he's like, nobody's told me that before, you know, before. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, I, I don't know if he's a believer. there's not much more to the conversation, but it just highlighted for me that actually you can live out a calling in many different contexts. Some of you, you're like, well, I, I'm just taking care of kids at home. Yeah, but you can live. What's the calling to participate in the mission of God there? Like, well, I'm a barrister, I just work at Starbucks. Right, maybe you have the calling of an encourager and you can do that as you're making latte art. All of these different ways that our calling can be, can come alive in us. This morning is is a special morning for our family because it's a chance for me to say on behalf of our family, thank you to New Life Church. 1996, I was a freshman at Oral Roberts University, and I didn't have anywhere to go for a fall break. A week was too short of a time to fly back to Malaysia. (laughs) And so, uh, a friend who was my RA, Chris Wall, invited me back to stay with his family, Byron and Meg Wall, longtime New Lifers. And I stayed with them and sat in a service. Of course, New Life was meeting in what is now the theater, the other building. Anyone remember that? Flags hanging from the rafters, teal carpet, maybe you blocked out the teal part. And I sat kind of midway through and just wept through worship, like so many of you have when you first came to New Life. And was so struck by the presence of God and Ross Parsley was leading worship, Matthew, Valentine, the team. And I thought, man, Lord, if one day, if I could just work at this, if I could just live here, I would just attend this church. And four years later, after I graduated, worked at ORU for a year, and I came out here as an intern, as an apprentice to Ross to be an apprentice in the worship ministry, and I had long hair and a big old scary goatee, cargo pants, hemp necklace, bare feet on a Sunday night. (laughs) About three months into that time, for whatever reason, they said, "Let's let's actually make this a job, not an apprenticeship, which was great. Because then I was able to make plans to propose to my college sweetheart, Holly. She graduated in May of 01. We got married here in Colorado Springs in August of 01. And we've raised our family here. We've lived here. 22 years for me, 21 years for Holly. And New Life has been an incredible family to us. Both of us having moved here uh, despite not having grown up here, having no other extended family. And we never, never, never wanted to leave, never looked for something else. Over the years, part of the blessing of being part of a church like New Life is people see what God is doing here and they say, hey, would you you wanna come help do this or that there? And it was just, it never registered. Last March, March of 2001, a friend of mine named Todd Proctor uh, reached out to me and he had led a church in Costa Mesa, California for many years called Rock Harbor and he said, hey, would you have any interest in maybe praying about a calling to come lead this church. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> so. I I don't really think so. He goes, okay, it's fine. And then as the summer came and the fall came, it was like not a burning bush, but like a little burning ember. <laughs> this little flicker in my peripheral that I didn't want to turn aside and look at. I kept sensing the Lord saying, just, just like look. I'm like, nope, I don't wanna look. And as we kind of did, I went out there in November of last year and went just as a guest speaker. And I felt this kinship and this connection with their team, and felt so much overlap between their culture and our culture at New Life. It felt like I found long lost cousins. And, but I also felt this burden kind of begin to develop in my heart. It was like the Lord saying, There's something here I'm, I want to do. And and I came home and Holly and I talked briefly about it, but it was the holidays and, and then we kind of started processing with Pastor Brady with some of our friends and some of the elders here at New Life and we, we took a tiny step in January and it just felt too hard. It felt too big. We'd never imagined our lives not here. And my, my pastoral comment to you is if you ever find yourself in a season that feels like fog, go slow you know that Tim I don't know how you are when you drive in fog but like some people just want to like get out of the fog don't do that like it's pretty dangerous right you slow down in the fog it's the same thing in life when something's foggy and unclear just slow down it's okay God's not in a hurry and so we did we kind of slowed down and and then we kept walking through this with friends and with others and praying and exploring and the voice of God began to get a bit louder and louder and then it wasn't just the sense of call but it was a very Profound recognition that there's a cross in this. we don't want to leave this. And we kept trying to surrender to the Lord, take the posture of a servant and everything we're saying to you this morning. At the end of May, we had a trip out there, and we our kids, our packiems you know, there's lots of ways families do this, but the packiems are terrible at keeping secrets from our kids, like we're just the worst, really, you know so we invited all the, you know, all four of our kids into the process. We said, "Just pray with us, seek the Lord with us." Sophia had some big decisions to make: go to college early or not. And we didn't want anyone to feel pressured. And we wanted our kids to know God never twists our arm. Please hear me this morning. If you're trying to discern a call of God, it's, God never forces us into it, but He always invites us into it. He invites our yes. He invites our here I am's. And so we, we wanted our kids to have a voice in this too. Now, I, we didn't give them a vote. We weren't going to tell them that you don't actually, it's not a democracy, you know, parents, but. <laughs> but we wanted them to pray with us, we wanted them to have a voice. And so we went out there at the end of May and we were checking in with them every night of the trip. Green light, yellow light, red light. What are you feeling? At the end of the trip, they were all like, yeah, we feel this, it's like green light. The Lord is in this. We formally entered the process at the beginning of June and went through rounds of all of it. And, Near the end of June, got the the word from the elders there at Rock Harbor and search team that they were unanimously and enthusiastically inviting us into the story. And with fear and trembling, <laughs> we said yes. So we're moving in like three weeks. And there's unity in our home and unity in the church and unity with the leadership here and peace and joy and there's sadness there's heaviness there's anguish there's angst. there's oh god really but maybe in the midst of all of that there's gratitude that what we feel for this house for this family for this church is just gratitude thank you for helping me grow up thank you for helping me discover my own calling as my hair got shorter and (laughs) actually started wearing shoes (laughs) thank you for walking with us thank you for being good soil for our family to be have been rooted in for the last 20 plus years 21 22 years so that's what we want to say this morning Carry you with us you can stay standing we're gonna sing in a moment we're, we carry you with us and this morning I think the invitation to the Holy Spirit to all of us some of you, you you do need the Holy Spirit to shake you awake and to say man I have not thought about my life participating in the mission of God or I've not thought about the cross in this calling I have not thought about the glory of God there's an invitation from the Spirit Others of you, you're all in, but you kind of need a little gentle reminder from Jesus this morning to say, hey, you join the Messiah's work, but you're not the Messiah. Like, it's okay. You join it, but you're not the Messiah. But all of us this morning can make this our prayer to say, God, take our lives. Take our lives and let it be a, a pleasing sacrifice to you. Let it be for your glory. Amen. So all over the room, would you open up your hands? So we begin to surrender to the Lord and say, God, we don't want to live independently. We don't want to live deciding our own way and charting our own steps. We want to live abiding in you. And when we abide in you, there will be fruit. Fruit that is for the good of the world and fruit that will bring glory to God. That's what we want for our lives individually and for this church. So let it be, Lord. Let's worship and sing the song together as we get ready to come to the Lord's table.
1: So come, Holy Spirit. Teach us to trust you, to depend on you, to abide in you as we follow your mission for us. Come on, church, sing for my waking breath. For my waking breath, for my daily breath, I depend on you, I depend on you, for the sun to rise, for my Faithful and obedient. where your spirit as I'm followed. Come on, sing your weakness, your dependence. I depend on you. Good church. Come on. Hi.
0: as we abide in him, amen? If you've got your elements, you can open up the packaging and we're gonna get ready to receive. This is Jesus, the Messiah who suffered to save. This is Jesus who not only calls us to a cross, but who gives us himself so that we have the grace to obey. Amen? So on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had given thanks, to the father he gave it to his disciples and he said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and after supper he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks to the father he gave it to his disciples and he said drink this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me so holy spirit we invite you to come now make this a moment not only of remembrance but also of encounter and not only of encounter but also of hope that one day all the saints from every nation and throughout the generations will gather for the feast (laughs) and we'll see how the mission of God has been unfolding in the world (laughs) through the stories and the lives Lord empower us to join that triumphal procession. Empower us, Lord, to embrace the cross that we might be raised up with you. We receive now your grace, your body and your blood as our portion, as our bread and our cup. Let's receive the bread together. Let's receive the cup together. i your hands now we're just gonna sing that old chorus in my life Lord be glorified for ourselves to you, the living sacrifices. Receive us, you have fed us, now fill us with your spirit and send us out into the world. Send us out into the world on mission with Jesus, embracing the way of the cross and living for the glory of God. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen. Hey, a couple things. Amen. I want to invite our altar ministry team to come here. If you're needing someone to pray with you, come and receive prayer this morning. We'll have a team out at Guest Central if you're new. I'll be at New Life Downtown the next two Sundays, and then we drive to Tulsa to move Sophia to Oral Roberts University to start college. And then we'll be back here on the 28th of August for Pastor Brady to lay hands on us and pray and send us out. So just wanted to tell you that. We love you, new life. We'll see you soon.